Welcome everybody to Common Sense Christianity. As always, I'm your host, Ethan Foster, here today with another episode. And we're going to try and keep this episode as brief as possible, where we are going to talk about nine archaeological discoveries that confirm the New Testament. And I get my information from PremierChristianity.com. And with that, let's get started. Oh, but first, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and share it with your friends, family, neighbors, whoever wants to learn about Christianity and that and the evidence for Jesus and all that kind of stuff. So uh, let's first start um, with the crucifixion victim. It has been speculated, especially by the skeptical scholar and author John Do- Dominic Croson, that the crucified corpse of Jesus would have been eaten by dogs, either as it hung on the cross or after it was buried in a shallow grave reserved for executed criminals. But a discovery of in J- Jevatar, a Jewish neighborhood in northeast Jerusalem, proved that a victim of the crucifixion could receive a proper, honorable Jewish burial. The story begins in 1968 when building contractors unexpectedly uncovered an ancient burial site containing about 35 bodies. One tomb contained the bones of two generations of a family who lived in the century before the time of Jesus. One member of that family was Yohanan, who was between 24 and 28 years old when he died. He had been crucified. His bones were discovered in an 18-inch long limestone ossuary, or bone box, and a 7-inch nail had been driven through the heel bone of his left foot. Fragments of olive wood were found at the point of the nail, revealing the wood from the cross on which he died. Today, this is the only archaeological discovery from Roman times of a crucifixion victim, and it demonstrates that crucifixion victims were buried, just as the gospel accounts suggest. Now, of course, this doesn't directly uh, prove the biblical accounts, but it does prove that there is some historical authenticity to the, let's just say, to the gospels, showing that Jesus could have been properly and honorably buried, and... And it also shows that crucifixion is undeniably a historical way of executing people. Number two, the Nazareth Decree. An early story about the empty tomb of Jesus circulated by the Jerusalem authorities was that his body had been stolen. Matthew's Gospel records when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while while we while we forty eight were asleep. Matthew twenty eight, twelve through thirteen. And I guess that can go in and be our verse for the day because again I forgot to find one uh for this podcast. But let let's just continue. And this story fits with the Nazareth decree and etiquette of the Roman Emperor which orders that anyone caught disturbing tombs or moving bodies from them should be put to death. It was, it was reportedly discovered in Nazareth in 1878, and the, the Romer, and the emperor in question was Claudius, who ruled between AD 41 and AD 54. And again, this just confirms that the events in the Bible could, are very possible. They're plausible for happening. It does not prove it, but it, it does show a level of possibility. Number three, the Jesus boat. Fishing boats fe- feature frequently in the four Gospels. 
and are a part of some of the most famous stories from the life of Jesus. But how can we know that these important details about the local environment Jesus conducted his ministry in are a true reflection of the time? In 1986, Israel suffered a drought, which caused waters of the Sea of Galilee to recede, exposing large areas of the shallow seabed. Two local fishermen, who were also amateur archaeologists, discovered a boat buried in the mud, which turned out to be a well-preserved fishing boat from the time of Jesus. The design of the vessel, which measured over 27 feet in length, was typical of fishing boats used during the time of Jesus in the eastern Mediterranean. The boat was next to the village of Migdal, in which the first century was called Magdala, the home of Mary Magdalene. Professor Shelley Watchman and other archaeologists raced against time to recover the boat from the mud before the waters returned. It was placed in a climate-controlled environment to protect it. Pots and lumps found beside the boat helped to date it to the first century, which was confirmed by radiocarbon dating of the planet, wooden planes. In the back of the boat is raised a section like that where Jesus was sleep, sleeping in the story of calming the storm. The boat could accommodate 15 people, so there would certainly have been room for Jesus and his 12 disciples in such a boat. Again, it does not prove anything about miracles or Jesus' uh, divinity, but it does prove, again, like I've been saying this whole podcast, it proves the the historical accuracy of the New Testament. So you cannot necessarily just deny the historical accuracy of the New Testament anymore because of these archaeological discoveries confirming important events in the Bible. Number four, the Pool of Siloam. In John 9, we read the story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. Christ spits on the, to the ground, makes him mud, and puts it on the blind man's eyes. He then instructs the blind man to wash in the Pool of Siloam. The blind man does so and is healed. Critics of Scripture often assume that God's uh, John's Gospel, forgive me, contains fictional accounts of Christ's actions, but the existence of the Pool of Siloam and the accuracy of the biblical account contradicts the view that such stories were later inventions. In the 3rd century AD, a church was built above a pool attached to Hezekiah, Hezekiah's water tunnel in Jerusalem to commemorate the healing of the blind man reported in John's Gospel. Until recently, this was thought to be the Pool of Siloam. However, during the sewage works um, in 2004, engineers stumbled upon the steps of a first century ritual pool near the mouth of Hezekiah's tunnel. But by the summer of 2005, archaeologists said it was without a doubt the missing pool of Siloam. Mark D. Roberts reports, in the pla plaster of this pool were found coins that established the date of the pool to the, to the years before and after Jesus. There is little question that this, in fact, the Pool of Siloam to which Jesus sent the blind man in John 9. Same thing, confirming historical accuracy. And I pose the question that if the biblical accounts were so, so, let's just say, um, they wanted to, to record the events accurately, historically, then that shows that Maybe they were telling the truth about the other things that Jesus did. Not just the historical parts, but the messianic parts of the New Testament. Number five, Nazareth. Despite this fame today in the phrase Jesus of Nazareth, 
The town where Jesus was brought up was so insignificant in biblical times that it isn't mentioned by any surviving literature until after the time of Jesus. Because of the lack of mention of Nazareth in the historical record, some critics have argued that the village didn't exist until after the time of Jesus. That said, indirect mention of Nazareth is contained in Jewish sources from the end of the first century AD. Archaeology has also added to this literary evidence. The evidence on the ground in Nazareth gives a good indication of the ancient date of the village. For example, archaeological digs in the vicinity of Nazareth have discovered tombs dating from the first century AD, confirming the village was a strong, strongly a Jewish set, settlement. Then in December 2009, archaeologists from the Israeli Antiquities Authority excavating the grounds of a former covenant unearthed a house from the first century Nazareth. According to excavation director Yardana Alexandre, quote, the discovery is of the utmost importance since it reveals for the very first time a house from the Jewish village of Nazareth and thereby sheds light on the way of life at the time of Jesus. The building that we found is small and modest, but is most likely typical in the dwellings of Nazareth in that period. Point number six. Peter's house in Capernaum. Capernaum contains the remains of a church from the 5th century AD, which is octagonal in its shape. In 1968, archaeologists discovered the remains of an earlier church underneath it. This had been built around what was originally a private house, which was apparently used by Christians as a meeting place during the second half of the 1st century. Today, a modern church exists suspended above the site with the excavation site visible through a glass floor. Peter Walker, professional, professor of biblical studies at Trinity School for Ministry, says Gra- graffiti uh, ha- that referred to Jesus as Lord and Messiah provides strong evidence that the room was used as a place of Christian worship, almost certainly because it was believed to be the room used by Jesus, perhaps the home of Simon Peter, given that the early tradition goes back to the first century. This is almost certainly the very place where Jesus stayed, the home of his chief disciple, this apostle, Peter. Point number seven, the Pontius Pilate Zone. In 1961, an inscription was found which confirms not only the rule of Pilate in Judea, but also his preference. Uh, his title prefect in Latin. The inscription dated AD 26 to AD 37. And again, that's a huge discovery for uh, the New Testament story because it provides evidence that many of the major characters in the New Testament text existed. Uh, Point number eight. The James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus, ossuary. James, the brother of Jesus, was martyred in AD 62. A mid-first century AD chalk ossuary discovered in 2002 bears the inscription, James, son of Joseph, brother of Jesus. The ossuary was, has provoked contra- controversy as the inscription was originally suspected of being a forgery. However, two animate paleographers 
confirmed it authentic in 2012. New Testament scholar Ben Witherton states, if, as it seems probable, the ossuary found in the vicinity of Jerusalem and dated to about AD 63 is indeed a burial box of James, the brother of Jesus, this inscription is the most important extra-biblical evidence of its kind. And I totally agree with what um, what this man says. Because that's just very significant. It proves, again, the the accuracy of the Bible and it and how the apostles and and the writers of the New Testament wanted to get everything, the details right. Point nine, the empty shrove. The intensively studied shroud of Turin, which bears a superficial photographically negative image of a flogged and crucified man, an image that also contains three-dimensional information, was formally dismissed by many on the basis of of 1988 carbon dating test giving it a medieval date. However, recent peer-reviewed scientific findings show that this dating was unreliable because the samples dated were taken from the same medieval patch. Moreover, a massive historical and forensic evidence show, points towards an earlier and even first century date for the shroud. Shroud. Ugh. I'm, I'm having a struggle today reading this. I'm sorry. But, for example, forensic evidence ties the shroud to a bloody he head cloth known as a suit. Arium of Avito, an artifact with a provenance that can be traced back back as far as the seventh century. Radiocarbon dating tests conducted in 2013 by Padua University scientists established that the shroud was likely made somewhere between 280 BC and AD 220. 220. A statistical comparison between data from the shroud and the New Testament's description of various irregular details of Jesus' punishment establishes that if the shroud is indeed a genuine first century artifact, then it probably was Jesus' actual burial cloth. Hence, the shroud provides archaeological evidence for the gospel accounts of Jesus, flogging crown of thorns and crucifixion, as well as for the claim that Jesus was given an honorable burial. Moreover, that shroud can no longer no longer contains a body and bears underserved blood clots provides additional evidence in the case for Jesus' res resurrection. And this and this is just historically significant what the New Testament provides in archaeology for the Christian for apologetics itself. It provides very good arguments for the Christian and I encourage anybody researching it to make sure you look into these scientific and historical and archaeological evidence as you, you all know if you've been listening to this podcast for a while I re I look at everybody I just was talking about Richard Dawkins the other day and watch his stuff more than I do Christian stuff because I know I have a bias when I'm watching Richard Dawkins and you know what? I am always open to change my mind. I used to be a creationist, now I'm a theistic evolutionist, and it's always important to remain objective when researching this. But j just based on the few points that we saw, and there are mu there's much more evidence out there that we haven't even begun to dig into on this podcast. Just based on that evidence, it is it just shows how si significant the New Testament documents are. 
And thank you guys for listening to Common Sense Christianity. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and share it with your friends, family, like I said before. And until next time, this is Common Sense Christian. Oh, also, before I forget, email me at commonsensechristianpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions. And until next time, God bless you. This is I'm Ethan Foster with Common Sense Christianity. You just listened to an episode of Common Sense Christianity. I'm your host, Ethan Foster, as always. And we love doing this for you guys. Please share the podcast with your friends and family if you like it. And frankly, even if you don't, Uh, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review so that more people can hear the word of God. And until next time, God bless you.